Church family, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for inviting us here today, for creating a space for us to join as your people, to bring our offering of praise, to listen to the word spoken, the word shared, the word proclaimed. God, we acknowledge today that you are God, that you are sovereign, that you are holy, that you are worthy of our praise. So we surrender all to you. In this moment, God, we pray that that would mean surrendering the things that are coming up later in our day, the things that are burdening us about the week ahead, that we might cast it aside and be able to enter into a time where you would meet with us, where your spirit could mold us and shape us more into the image of Jesus than we were when we walked in today. God, that is our heart's desire. So God, as we turn to your word, would you give us eyes to see the truth on its pages? God, would you give us ears to hear this truth clearly today? And then God, would you give us humble, genuine hearts before you that you might do your work in us and through us? We ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, good morning again, church family. I uh, want to show you a couple things. I want to show you two of my favorite books. Two of my favorite books. One is The New Pilgrim's Progress. Now, the new I'm going to talk about in just a moment, but Pilgrim's Progress is one of those classic books that kind of highlights, gives an allegory of what it means to be on the journey of faith. And so, as you read this classic work by John Bunyan, it guides you on the path. It's new because it is originally written in kind of King James language. New is uh, an adaptation into a more modern contemporary language. That is one book. The second book that I would say is one of my favorites is a little book called The Radical Disciple. It is written by a man by the name of John Stott, and uh, he was a pastor and an author. And what he does is he walks through and kind of details what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, a radical disciple of Christ in our world. And he highlights some kind of often overlooked aspects of what that means. Now, you might say, well, Pastor, why are you highlighting those books? Well, the fact of the matter is I'd like to give these to someone here this morning who is interested in growing in your faith in Jesus Christ. Who wants them? No, no, you got to get out of your seat. Who, who wants them? Let's give her a hand. You're welcome. You're welcome. I hope you find those encouraging. If you get to the end of your summer reading and want to chat about those things, I would welcome the opportunity to discuss those with you. Now, I want to uh, pause right there and just ask the rest of you, why didn't you come forward? I mean, really, what, why did you not come forward? Now, I can think of a few reasons, perhaps. One of those is you're thinking, you know what, I am too shy. There is no chance you could put $100, $1,000 on the stage, and I still wouldn't have got out of my chair. I'm just not going to do it. I'm a little too shy to kind of be putting myself out there quite like that. Another reason I can guess is some of you would say, well, I'm not really that much of a reader. That was true in the first service. A lot of people were like, oh, yeah, I'd, 
there's no chance I'm going to read those books. Maybe shy, a reader. Or could it be a third option? Perhaps you just did not believe that I was actually offering something good and something valuable to you for free this morning. You just didn't believe it. You thought, well, the pastor's standing there on the stage and he's got two books in his hands and there is no way he is giving those to me. I am not going to go up and be fooled by that. I want you to know I can't really help you with the first two. If you're too shy, not a reader, you're on your own on those two. But on the third one, it's a third option that I want us to focus on today because what we're going to be doing is look at what happens in our lives when we fail to believe the offer, the promises that God makes to us in his word. What happens to you and I when we don't believe what God offers is true? The good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus working in our lives, the good news of God molding and changing a family. I love the visual image that we just had with the Fernandez family because mom and son declared, I'm with Jesus. Jesus is molding me and shaping me into his likeness, and that is a celebration. But do we believe it? Do we believe it for ourselves? We're in a series called Family, Why Bother? And what we've been doing over the course of these past few weeks is considering the family dynamics and, to be clear, the family dysfunctions of some of the first families in God's Word. We've been looking at a few of those in the book of Genesis, and we have a few more weeks yet in our series to do so. But I want you to know, just candidly, pastor to congregation, I want you to know that it is my hope that this series would give you a better understanding of who you are created to be in God and to see where you've maybe veered off course and why you veered off course. What we're looking at is a couple of those first families and what we're seeing here, those are some of the issues that they struggle with. The culture is different. The setting is different. But some of the core issues are still prevalent in our lives and in our households today, right here, right now. Now, some of you are saying, man, I am so glad I came to church today. I am so pumped. I'm so encouraged. It seems a little heavy, right? I've got good news for you. In all that dysfunction, in all of the sin that was prevalent in the first families and that we struggle with, I have good news because we have not been abandoned to fix our own issues. You and I are not here where we have to fix our own problems. God's word shows us both the depth of the problem and it gives us the remedy. The Word of God gives us the remedy that only in Jesus Christ are we provided grace and power that brings change in our own hearts and then ultimately change in the lives of our family. That only happens through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So I want to begin this morning by turning to the book of Genesis. We are going to be looking at Genesis. We're going to fast forward a few chapters. We have been in the early chapters. We're moving ahead to Genesis chapter 12. And uh, as you 
you turn there, you are going to find that on page, as soon as I find it, uh, you are going to find that on page 9 in our church Bibles. Now, as I have done, uh, and, and I want to do that again today, I'm not going to read the whole portion of the text. We're going to just read segments of it as we move along. And I want to set the stage with the first three verses. And this is very important because it, it plays itself out in the rest of the text. So here we go. Now, the word of the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Here we are introduced to Abram, or Abraham as we know him later on in the scriptures. His name gets changed later on, but for our text today, it is Abram. And what's important for us to know is this text tells us that he is sort of the first father of faith, and we just read explains kind of why that is. What we just looked at explains why. God promises to give Abram a new land He promises in this moment, he makes this covenant with Abram, which is a solemn promise that he would bless him and that through him, he would be a blessing to everyone else. It's a covenant. There's only a few specific covenants mentioned in the word of God, and this is one of them, and it's very significant. It is a massive promise that God has made to Abram in this moment. A promise. And church, that brings into focus the core issue for us today. Will we trust what God has promised in his word? I mean, in a real practical way, will we trust what God has promised in his word? The fact is our struggle to believe God and his promise lie at the heart of all of the sin in our relationships. I'm going to say that one more time because it is significant. Our struggle to believe God and to believe in his promises lies as the core or the foundational sin in all human relationships. We've seen it already as... We've gone through this series. It began with Adam and Eve, and they failed to trust God. And instead, what did they do? They believed the lie of the serpent. Then we looked at Cain and Abel. Cain failed to trust God by giving an unacceptable offering, and ultimately that led him to the point where he would murder his brother. That's the sin, that's the thread that comes through all human relationships. And right here, Abram is faced with a serious dilemma. He gets to that proverbial fork in the road. He has one way that he can go, that's trusting God. I can trust what God promises and I will follow that path. Or he can go the other path, which is of deception and a fail to trust in the promises of God. So church family, that is our backdrop today. That sets up the story, and I'm going to tell you it's a pretty intense story. So let's dig in. We're going to skip down to verses 10 through 13, and here is what it says in Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. 
And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, he says, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. And then they will kill me. But they will let you live. So say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you. And that my life may be spared for your sake. That's where we're going to stop. So Abram is traveling with his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot, and that's when trouble arises. Abram faces a challenge in this moment to trust in the word of God. He's on his journey, they're sojourning, and he gets there and he is faced with that proverbial fork in the road that I just mentioned a moment ago. But there's one piece of this that I want every single one of us to grab a hold of today. Oftentimes when we read an Old Testament narrative like this, we can sort of put these characters up on this pedestal that, well, that was Abram. That was Moses. The fact of the matter is, Abram did not have any greater wisdom than you do. He did not have any greater strength than you do. He had no greater advantages than any of us in this room in this moment. In this story, he is a man, just like you and just like me. And this is why when we examine these stories, they really are helpful for us. They're not just stories. They're not just some Old Testament narrative that we can kind of flip through. They're people like you and like me. They have real life stories. They have real life issues. They deal with real life people and real life situations. So in today's story, What you and I are going to find are three ways that we can learn from the mistakes and avoid Abram's failures in faith. We're going to learn from them so that we might not make them ourselves. And the first such misstep that we come across in this text is that we dishonor others through deception. You and I can dishonor others through our deception. Remember, it is amidst famine that is sweeping the region. It's told that it's a famine, and then it says it is a bad famine, that Abram led his wife and his nephew on a sojourn. Now, sojourn is one of those words that we don't often use in our culture. We don't often kind of talk with our friends about going on a sojourn, but what it really means is that we're simply going to be living somewhere else for a little while. We're going to be moving for a little bit. But the sojourn wasn't the issue. Facing the Pharaoh was the issue. They say as they approached Egypt, Abram was overcome with fear. He looked at his wife and he knew her beauty. And so in this moment when he faces his fear, he can trust God or or create a deception We've just read what choice he makes. Instead of trusting God and his promises, Abram develops a scheme that ultimately degrades his wife, Sarai. So he tells the Pharaoh that she's his sister. And in doing so, what he is doing is he is treating her like property. So in this moment, she becomes a commodity. Sarai becomes a commodity. 
Most of us in this room will never face this type of situation. We're not going to be standing before a pharaoh or a king, but we have opportunities in our lives to do the same thing, to trust God or to run the other way in fear, to step into some kind of deception and hide. There are many of us here today who feel the shame of our past decisions. We carry around them like a big, heavy backpack. The shame that makes us feel unworthy of God's love, unworthy of God's promises. We just struggle to believe it. We carry those things deep in our hearts. And so what do we do? We hide. We deflect. We are less than honest with God and ultimately with each other. And because we have fear in our hearts, and I want to stand before you this morning and say, believer, that should not be. That should not be. You see, when Jesus hung on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin and for my sin, what he did in that moment was he took upon our shame on the cross. He bore your shame on the cross. He bore the shame of all humanity on the cross. And in that moment, what he did is he said, I'm going to take your shame and I'm going to replace it with dignity. Your fear, I'm going to replace it with peace. Friends, you and I can come to God We can come with open hands and we can surrender all in repentance and in belief upon Jesus. That's how we do it. When we're burdened, we come to him and we repent and we believe the gospel afresh. Whether you were a man, whether you were a woman, whether you were a child. It doesn't matter if you're 10 or 85. It makes no difference. That is how we experience true freedom. That is how you and I face true freedom because freedom is only found in Jesus Christ. That's the only place. Only in Christ do we find freedom from the deception. Only in Christ can we live in peace. Now, let's return to the story. Let's pick it up at verse 14. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. When the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep and oxen, he had male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Let's stop right there. So in this moment, Abram's fears have become a reality. Upon entering Egypt, Sarai in her striking beauty is noticed. She is seen. And word quickly gets to Pharaoh. And this is where things get really messy. I'm going to take you to your time in the car when you're listening to Christian music and the radio station says, this station is safe for the little ears in the family. This text is not safe for the little ears in the family. This is an ugly, messy story. Because of the position that Pharaoh is in, he can bring in Sarai into his harem. That's what's happening in this text. 
and Abram, her brother, would get significant financial reward. And that's what we see in the text as well. It's awful. It is absolutely awful. Abram is treating his wife like property because of an immense amount of fear in his heart. He is not trusting in what God has promised, but instead he is giving in to fear and perhaps the desire for financial gain in this moment. And because of that, Abram jeopardizes not only his marriage, but ultimately the purposes that God has for his life and what's going to come out of his life. Remember, God has promised that Abram would be blessed and ultimately be a blessing. Yet as we read, we look at verse 16. There's a great deception that leads to that financial gain. And for her sake, whose sake? For Sarai's sake. He dealt well with Abram. Because Sarai had come to him, he's going to be favorable to Abram, and he's going to give him sheep and oxen and donkeys and servants, and the list goes on. Church, if you spend time reading this text, if you spend time reflecting upon this text, it will burden you to your core. It is incredibly sad. And I want us to not make any mistake in this. Abram has come upon his wealth that we just read about in verse 16 by means other than God's blessing. He has manipulated the narrative. I'm going to tell you we can unpack the story and go in a number of different directions, but at the core, what we need to take away from this as a foundational issue of what we can learn is that self-seeking, self-serving interest that reveals the lack of Abraham's trust in God and his word. He does not believe it. This reveals too our Second thing that we can grab a hold of from the story of Abram's failures, when we act in self-interest for personal gain. You and I should not act in self-interest for personal gain. Now here's the reality. So often we can say, well, that's not us. We're believers. We're followers of Jesus. But the problem is this is also true in our world. Inside the context of the church, there unfortunately is not a lot of difference when it comes to this type of living. Again, this should not be. For all who are in Christ today, we should have a deep understanding of who God is and that he alone is our provider. Period. End of story. God alone is our provider. Now, before I go any further, I want to just kind of acknowledge the hardworking people here of Woodside White Lake, because I'm guessing some of you are going, well, hey, wait a minute, Pastor. I'm the guy who gets up in the morning, and I go to work, and I work long, hard hours every single week. Not talking about that. What I mean is that God in his sovereignty provides you the mind. He provides you the skills. He provides you the know-how to do what you do. That comes from him. That is a blessing that you have received that ultimately you might be a blessing to others. 
So that's why we have the freedom to work hard using our skills and our abilities that God has provided for His glory and for our gain. For His glory and for our gain. So believers, I want to challenge you for just a moment. This means that you and I can rest in God's provision, in the power of the Holy Spirit. We can stand strong and trust in what God promises for us instead of turning to things like this. Dishonest business practices. High-risk investments. Gambling. If you are a sports fan, you cannot turn on a game without being inundated with opportunities to gamble on the game. I don't care what sport you're watching, it is coming on over and over and over again, and it is a temptation that they are saying, you can have this. Manipulate your narrative. Don't trust in God. We got this. We're going to help you. It's a temptation. And let me highlight the last one. This one's a little more culturally acceptable. If you don't believe in the provisions of God, just work a little harder. It's called workaholism. And it is a practice that attempts to control the narrative of what God is providing for you instead of trusting in God and in His character, that He loves you and that He desires well for you. This is one of the reasons that Woodside continues to give and support the needs of others in our community, even in the middle of a time where we all acknowledge things are getting a little financially tight. As a church family, we place a high priority on continuing to give, continuing to provide as the people of God in the face of those challenges. A few weeks ago, many of us got together at Donaldson Hills Elementary and we gave both our talents and some of our treasures to improve that community, to be a light in that world. And Woodside does that across all 14 of our campuses. We put a segment of our annual budget in there so that we can meet the financial challenging needs of those in our community gives us an opportunity to contextualize what we're doing because life in Plymouth is different than life in Lapeer and life in White Lake is different than life in Chesterfield. There are different needs. We do this because we are modeling trust and dependence upon God as our provider. So we give and we are faithful in our giving regardless of what's going on in our world. And it is my hope that that is your heart too. You might say, well, why does that matter? I mean, you're talking about giving. Why does that matter? Because in a tangible way, God's people can practice our trust in Him and His Word and His promises by our giving by our giving. Now, before we dig into the last portion of today's text, I want us to consider, take a pause and look and see where Abram's brought us so far. First off, he's uh, treated his wife like property. Good call there. She's been taken in uh, by Pharaoh for his personal pleasure. He's secured financial gains by dishonest measures. 
It's a pretty good run. It's a pretty good string right there. He's doing, he's doing really well. So the question is, where does this all lead? Where does it lead? Turn with me to the final portion of the text. We're going to pick it up at verse 17. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Abram's mess has gotten worse. His lack of trust in God's promises has now impacted others, and it has done so dramatically. Abram is not in the land that God has promised him. His wife has been with another man, and the fulfillment of God's promises of offspring, of land, of blessing, and being a blessing to others is in shambles. This reveals the third point that we can learn from Abram's failures as people of God, that a lack of trust inflicts harm instead of bringing blessing. That a lack of trust in God can inflict harm instead of bringing blessing. This is why it's so important that we remember the covenant that God made at the beginning of this chapter. Chapter. You see, the curse of God has now fallen upon Pharaoh. Not a blessing, a curse. The exact opposite of what is promised through Abram. A curse. And we could stay and we could wallow around in this tragedy for a long time. But I don't want us to. I want to close by turning and looking at something different, by looking at the character of God who is the one who makes those promises. God's plans cannot be thwarted. God's a, God always accomplishes his purposes in our lives because God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. Now, I want to give you a quick spoiler alert as you continue reading in the text. Abram becomes Abraham, and he does, in fact, become a blessing to all nations. That's a story for another time, and it is a good one. But as we close, I want to bring this story, not just from an Old Testament narrative, I want to bring it down to our lives and what it means when you and I practice our faith, when we wake up on a Monday morning and when we go to work on Tuesday and throughout the week. I want to give us something to consider when it comes to the promises and the word of God. As we have seen in the life of Abram and Sarai, what we have found is that God's promises are, in fact, for broken people. They're not just for people who have their act together. God offers them to broken people, people who have made a mess out of things by our unbelief. God does that. You see, this is good news because in Christ, we have the opportunity to repent of our sin. We can put the shame and the struggle and everything that weights us, the burdens that we carry, we can come to him in repentance and faith and we can start afresh. That's what God provides us in the gospel But it leaves us with a question. 
What happens to us when we do? What happens to you and I when we repent and believe, when we come to God in, in, in faith, when God's people believe and walk in, in ways that are trusting in the promises of God, our families, our friends, our coworkers, they have an opportunity to experience the blessing of God because of our faithfulness. They receive a blessing through our faithfulness. You see, God revealed in Jesus Christ does in fact keep his promises. So may you and I trust in those promises today and in the week ahead. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.